0: This week on Honey, You Should Watch This, we watched 1940's Rebecca. So in keeping with the theme of that movie, I am banning Susan from the recording studio.
1: What? Welcome back to Honey, You Should Watch This. I uh, b- b- busted down the barricade and I am now back in the studio.
0: Wasn't much of a barricade.
1: No, no. So if you is this is the first time you're listening to us, Honey, You Should Watch This is a podcast where a husband, which is Greg, and a wife, which is me, um, we have... Similar interest in movies, but there are times when our tastes uh, very much diverge from each other, so we are learning to appreciate each other's taste in movies.
0: And if this is the first time you're watching us or listening to us, what are you doing? What? If this is the first time you're listening to us, what are you doing? What, what What's do you wrong mean? with you? What do you mean? You should have been listening from the get-go.
1: Oh! <laughs> I'm like, we want them to listen, don't we? Yeah. Okay. We do. All right. So I am now in day two. What of our company's new social dins- distancing policy and our office is closed and we are all working from home and i have to ask you greg are people still the same out there with their funny ways
0: no no there's no people out there oh i thought i was an i am legend for a minute oh. no there's plenty of people out there Everything, i'm just home all day everything's fine you're, you're fine Nothing but
1: cats to keep me company. Yeah, it's probably I'd, better that way. I've seen my future; it does not look good.
0: It's probably better that way. Is it? Yeah.
1: Is it? Okay. Well, you um you celebrated. Actually, we all celebrated a uh, big uh, milestone for you this weekend, huh?
0: Yep, I turned eighteen. <laughs> I'm now eligible to be drafted and vote, but I can't have a beer or a smoke. So there you go.
1: <laughs> no. That's not what I'm talking about.
0: Yes, we had our one-year anniversary on Top Five for Fighting. We did. Yes, we did. And we recorded an epic. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty doggone good. It if you guys want to hear some fun, just go over there. It's a lot of nonsense. It's nowhere near as highbrow or as intelligent as this, but it is still fun. Top, top five, top five for fighting. But listen That's to us top, first. Top, top five for fighting.
1: <laughs> so this week I picked for you, Rebecca. Yes, you did. I did. Uh, Why'd you pick that? I picked it um, because of its significance. Well, you had us watch Unforgiven, which was a best picture. So I met your best picture with a best picture. Copycat. Yeah, I know. I'm not that creative. Um, So this is Alfred Hitchcock's first film that he made in America. And his only best picture win. So I figured that this would be um interesting for you to see
0: okay i'm glad you felt that way
1: okay so before i ask you what you thought of it i want to know what you thought it was about before you started watching it
0: i thought it was about two hours long <laughs> i didn't know what it was about i mean the trailer makes it sound like you know it's a ghost you know like, the, like it's a ghost it's white It's it's fluffy it's a ghost <laughs> I, the, the, it's not a trailer, the, the tagline, not the tagline, the lead in, whatever you want to call it, the, the, you know, like when you pull up IMD, the synopsis, Okay. I guess the synopsis right. is the right word, makes it sound like it's a haunt, it's a haunting. Mm-hmm. It's what it makes it sound like. Right. So I was like, oh, okay, this ought to be pretty good. 1940s technology. We ought to see the strings. But it wasn't a haunting
1: it wasn't it what, wasn't it was a haunting in a different kind of way it wasn't an actual ghost but the the memory
2: of
0: I, I i never i never got a haunting feel from it i got a weird feel but i never got a haunting feel i thought it was about a ghost and his name was casper <laughs> and he was a friendly ghost <laughs> but he ate all our popcorn he ate all the popcorn very loudly while we watched the football game that's not happening Right now,
1: <laughs> okay. So, what'd you think of it? Meh, meh.
0: No, I really liked it. This movie was really um, interesting. We'll get into it more as we go. It's, it's. It, I can understand and see why it won Best Picture because it was one of three movies out that year.
2: <laughs>
1: Actually, nineteen forties was a great year for nineteen-
0: movies. It, it was. We're going to get into that too. Um, and
1: several of my favorite movies were. Released that year.
0: Transformers came out that year?
1: Transformers is not one of my favorite movies, for the record.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen. She's just saying that because you, she wants you to think that Transformers isn't one of her favorite movies. But I know it's differently. Not. Ladies, guys, listen. <laughs> seriously, it's check not. this out. If you go look at our movie collection, all five Transformer movies are in the DVD case on Blu-ray. All five of them. <laughs> I'm not buying that shit. I am not so I don't a know where Michael Bay from. fan, so I have no idea what you told me, that. You told me you told me you like Transformers so much you were willing to let go of the fact that they were Michael Bay productions. Oh man, well, maybe that was me. I'm, I maybe. It could I'm not be you. Sure. Yeah, yeah probably. I think
1: I think you're you're yeah you're it, projecting.
0: No, <laughs> I don't do that. I don't I don't even own a projector. So the best picture winner and it deserved it. I think uh, it was very good. She, you're right. It was up against some big-time movies. We will get into that. I uh, think that you should probably give us a synopsis.
1: Okay. Um, you got to buckle in because this sucker is going to be long because I want us to kind of yeah, talk right. about a little freeform after this. So this is essentially, in my mind, when I watched it this time, I saw very clearly that this movie, very much like when we talked about Gone Girl, Is three different types of movies kind of rolled up in one. Okay. You have this, I'll say romance, even though I I kind of hesitate to call it a romance. You have a mystery, psychological thriller, and then you kind of have a procedural at the end. Uh, Okay. Okay. That's that's kind of how I, I viewed it this time around
0: procedurals pretty weak but okay
1: yeah it's it, it's not the best of procedurals but it just kind of felt more okay l- you know law e legally at the end okay so Rebecca is a 1940s romantic thriller based on the novel by Daphne de Mornay and produced by David O Selznick and directed by Alfred Hitchcock
0: is that Rebecca de Mornay's mom
1: not de Mornay I'm probably pronouncing it right. It's probably DeMornier. It's not de Mornay. All
0: right. So not Rebecca DeMornay's mom. No. All right. Continue.
1: No. Okay. So here's the story. An inexperienced young woman is working as a traveling companion for a rich American woman on a trip to Monte Carlo. One day she sees a man who appears as if he's going to commit suicide by jumping off a cliff. She cries out to him only to be berated by the, frust- the flustered man. Later that night, she learns the man is an aristocratic widower, Maxim de Winter. Her employer, Mrs. Edith Van Hopper, tries in vain to engage Maxim socially, but he is not interested. He is, however, interested in his companion, and when Mrs. Van Hopper falls ill, he fills her days with drives in the country, dinners and dancing, and more general moodiness that she saw at the cliff. When Mrs. Hopper needs to make a speedy return to New York City, Maxim uh, Maxim impulsively proposes to her and the two get married. Maxim takes his new bride back to Manderley, his grand mansion by the sea in England. The new Mrs. De Winter is overwhelmed by the size of the mansion and the new life in general as the wife of an aristocrat. It does not help that the house is dominated by reminders of Maxim's belated wife, Rebecca, which are carefully kept intact by the housekeeper, Mrs. Danvers. Danvers was a close confidant of Rebecca and is cold to the new Mrs. De Winter. As the young, insecure, and inexperienced young woman, the constant reminders of Rebecca's glamour and sophistication make her more and more insecure and convince the new Mrs. De Winter that Maxim is still in love with his first wife, which could explain his irrational outbursts of anger. She tries to please her husband by holding a costume party like the one he and Rebecca used to. Danvers advises her to copy a dress of one of Maxim's ancestors, which is, is seen in a portrait within the house. Nevertheless, when she appears in the costume, Maxim is appalled since Rebecca had worn the identical dress at her last ball just before her death. New Mrs. De Winter confronts Danvers, but Danvers tells her she can never take Rebecca's place and almost persuades her to jump to her death. At that moment, an alarm is raised because a sunken boat is found with Rebecca's body in it. Maxim confesses to his new wife that his marriage had been a sham from the start, and Rebecca had declared that she had no intention of keeping her vows, but would pretend to be the perfect wife and hostess for the sake of appearances. Before she died, she claimed she was pregnant by another man, and she taunted Maxim with the news. Maxim struck Rebecca, and she fell and struck her head and died. To conceal the truth, Maxim took the body out on a boat, which he then scuttled and identified her body as another body as Rebecca's at the inquest for the body that was found police claimed the possibility of suicide Rebecca's lover and cousin jack favell you cousin i guess that was legal
0: well i guess technically it's still <laughs> legal in the state of florida too so continue i think he's the
1: second cousin that's that's i believe they said that Um, So Jack Favell attempts to blackmail Maxim by threatening to reveal that she had never been suicidal. Maxim instead goes to the police, and now Maxim must be cleared of murder. However, further investigation reveals she was not pregnant but terminally ill due to cancer, so the suicide verdict stands. Maxim realizes that Rebecca had been trying to goad him into killing her all the time, or all the while. A free man, Raxim returns to Manderley which is on fire, set ablaze by the deranged Mrs. Danvers. All escape, except Danvers, when the ceiling collapses on her. The principal cast features Joan Fontaine as the second Mrs. De Winter, Laurence Olivier as Maxim De Winter, Judith Anderson as Mrs. Danvers, and George Sanders as Jack Vivelle. It also features Reginald Denny, Gladys Cooper, Nigel Bridge, and Florence Bates. Yeah. That was a long one. So if I stumbled through that, I apologize.
0: Don't apologize. Oh no, they paid their money. They can deal with it. All
1: over the place, especially like the last episode when I couldn't figure out Bill versus Bob.
0: The last episode?
1: Yeah, our last episode on Unforgiven. I kept saying, I kept calling little Bill, little Bob. Unforgiven. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's all right. Little Bill and little Bob and Bob English board, and it's okay. (laughs) Okay. All right. So um uh I don't even know where to start cuz there's a lot
1: There is a lot um with this movie, definitely a lot. I I kind of feel like as as you you figured out over over time, you know, taking a few days to kind of do your research on this movie, this entire piece does not treat our leading lady well. In a lot of ways.
0: <laughs> yeah
1: um it, but she doesn't have a name for one
0: <laughs> yeah that that was um that was interesting uh, simply because of some of the things that i read they didn't give her i realized and didn't realize it until i was doing my research that they never call her anything other than miss de winter mm-hmm. or um you little fool you little idiot yeah, yeah. what's the woman's name at the beginning the one that she was the Edith, personal assistant Edith for. Edith Van Hopper. Edith Van Hopper. Yeah, she was a good-looking woman. Um, <laughs> the
1: uh, You must have been some really something before electricity.
0: Yeah. The um, the doggone... Uh, no one ever called her by her name there either. No. And it never dawned on me until uh, I was doing my research, which is really weird. Uh, but she doesn't have a name in the book.
1: No, she doesn't.
0: And in writing, I think it's Oselznick and... Um, Somebody else wanted to give her a name, and they were going to name her...
1: The the scriptwriters. The, script the screenwriters and, were, were wanted to name her Daphne after Daphne de Mornay.
0: And Selznick and Daphne said no. Absolutely not, yep. yeah.
1: Which is, you know, okay. They had a, a somewhat different script that Hitchcock wanted to work with, but o Selznick really wanted to stay more true to the book. Um,
0: Which I'm okay with, because lots of times... When you have a book that's sought after, as this book was, to be made into a movie, mm-hmm. um, they they don't they change too much, and then you're like, why'd you bother to buy the rights for the book because you changed so much? It's not even close.
1: Yeah. Um, so I don't know how it makes you identify with her, but it it does. I she's. She's not treated well as not not the fact that she doesn't even have a name the character, it doesn't have a named character, but um people are always telling her what to do um in some way, right? The Edith Van Hopper, obviously because she's her boss. Mm-hmm. but Mrs. Danvers is an in intimidation to her. So she's always kind of deferring to whatever you think is best. You do that. She does she doesn't stand she doesn't know who she is. She she can't doesn't really stand on her own two feet until a very specific far part of the film. Um she when and Joan Fontaine um is just like a pulsing ball of anxiety in this whole <laughs> piece. Yeah. Um Well, wouldn't you be? Yeah, probably. Okay. Probably, but Plus um,
0: plus that's what the script wanted wanted her to do. So
1: Yeah. Um there was a lot of people in consideration for her role. I think they were looking at over twenty. Meg people. Ryan was one of them. Meg Ryan was not one of them. Oh, she wasn't? Okay. No. No. Um, give me a second and I can tell you some of the people who were up for this uh, role.
0: Did you really just bring that up and you didn't have your notes ready? You Hi, silly lady, you
2: I'm
1: so silly. Yes, over 20 actresses were considered for the role. Oh, Selznick wanted Olivia de Havilland, who played very famously um, Melly Melanie in Gone with the Wind. Okay. Um, he could not get her out of contract that he she was in with um, Samuel Golden for another movie. Um, and she was reluctant to accept the part because she knew that Joan Fontaine, her sister was under consideration for the part. Um, they also um, were getting bids uh, that maybe Margaret Sullivan could have played the role, so she was from Chopper on the Corner. I'm just saying ones that you've seen before. Okay. Um, Loretta Young, who was in The Bishop's Wife, Vivian Lee, um, who was Lawrence Olivier's wife at the time.
0: They were not married yet. They
1: were not married yet. Um, and she was
0: she was married. He was married, but they were not married to each other. Okay, they were just air quotes seeing each <laughs> other.
1: Ooh, yeah. She had just finished *Gone with the Wind* um, as well for Al-Selsnick. uh Anita Louise, um, and Ann Baxter for the role, which is interesting because Ann Baxter would work with the gentleman who played Jack Vivell in *All About Eve*. Yeah. So, um there were a another lot Michael Bay production a <laughs> 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 um, lot of people um, competing for this role.
0: yeah, th- they they didn't treat her well, but also it's it's a feeling that you get when you watch it the first time, but then after you know what road they go down, you don't feel that way about it. You realize that there's really only... Two people that were really treating her bad, three, and that's um, the nanny lady, Danvers. <laughs> the nanny lady. Yeah, we we'll call her nanny <laughs> lady because she reminded me of Fran Drescher. <laughs> um, uh, Jack Car- Caravel. He was he like hitting on her and Jack, stuff. He, Jack
1: Caravel was just gent- he plays a cad so well. Yeah, yeah,
0: he does. And the other one that was treat- that treated her bad was uh was was hot lady at the beginning. That she worked for.
1: Edith Van Hopper? Edith Van Hopper, yeah. Yeah, but I wouldn't say that, you know, you would. You get the warm fuzzies over Maxim. No, you don't. This you film. don't.
0: But like, you know, I call, I said a couple times just watching, I just looked at you and went, God damn. Yeah. And you're like, well, it was 1940. So, <laughs> you know, there was a scene where he's like, no, 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 you'll come over here and you'll sit down and you'll eat with me. And she goes, no, I'm okay if they change the the, the, the tablecloth. And he goes, no, come over here and eat with me. And as soon as they set the food down, he's like, let's go for a ride. Like, <laughs> damn it. I just got my food. <laughs> no, no. He, she,
1: she sets the food down. He's like, let's, let's go for a ride after you finish this. He's like, eat it up like a good girl.
0: Uh, That's right. what he yeah. says.
1: And <laughs> you know, so in today's modern context, you're like, what did you just tell her? What um, you
0: tell your five-year-old granddaughter? But eat he, calls, up like a good girl. he calls
1: her an idiot at one point when he's um, proposing to her and she doesn't you know, she she's either torn about it or she's not get quite getting what he's saying. He's like, I'm asking you to marry me, you fool. little fool. <laughs> you little fool. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'd,
0: I'll let you have it. I'll let you have yeah. it. She wasn't treated very well.
1: Doesn't yeah, doesn't quite and the thing is is um they say that um Olivia did not treat her Joan Fontaine well because he really wanted Vivian Lee to have the part. And I watched this morning I was able to watch the screen test that both Olivier and Vivian Lee did together, totally different tone.
0: Okay.
1: Totally different tone. It's, it was hard to kind of get it because you know how you, you're used to an actor in their kind of marquee role. Um, and they are trying to talk a different way, but all you can get is their voice. Like uh, the one thing that I can think of is the departed at the beginning of the departed, you have that J- um, Jack Nicholson voiceover. Yeah. And he's talking in a South Boston... A
0: really bad South Boston accent. yeah. Southie accent,
1: yeah. And it's not, I don't know if it was necessarily was bad. Um,
0: but it's not what you, you typically hear from Jack Nicholson. It's not what you
1: expect from Jack Nicholson. So she was trying to play this role, but she still... All I could hear is
2: Scarlett, Scarlett
1: O'Hara. O'Hara. So she seemed a lot more confident, a lot more calm, not as agitated and stressed and anxiety ridden as Joan Fontaine was. Good enough. But, you, you know, both the thing that we both heard was that um, Hitchcock allowed him to treat her that way and encouraged the entire crew to kind of not be the best to her either to heighten that performance. Um, he, in that screen test with Vivian Lee, was also a lot softer and not at all what he played in the role in the the movie.
0: Well, we can talk about Mr. Olivier for a second. And if you don't know much about this guy, Jesus, what a, I mean, just this man worked number one and he put out quality, quality uh, material, man, I'm going to learn. I'm really going to learn words one day. (laughs) And Maybe not a material that you would be like, that's my favorite type of movie, but uh, he apparently people felt like he was th- the most—wow, <sighs> words fail me. Prolific? He was, he was perfect to oh. play Shakespeare. Because, oh, yeah. Because he just, without even trying, he would nail it. And uh, so he got a lot of critical acclaim, but was also in a lot of movies that had um, monetary— success as well. So it was like the best of both sorts. I think he had eleven Academy Award nominations for actor supporting actor. I think he won five Emmys. I think he won two or three of the of the of the Academy Awards. This guy was just I mean, just from, just all over all over Hollywood and has the ability to kind of do whatever he wanted to do. So it's funny that you have somebody in the same role act two different ways because one's his girlfriend and one's not his girlfriend, which yeah. is kind of interesting.
1: Well, I also, you, you're probably not getting as much direction as you would have gotten from Hitchcock about the way he wanted this, this film to have that feel. And, you know, that's one thing that Hitchcock is just an absolute master of is, is creating that atmosphere that he wanted for the films that he was doing. Um, so I'm not sure how much direction they got, but he it was definitely a much different scene than what you see. From in- what I'm
0: understanding from the way Hitchcock directed, they got a lot of direction because he was very heavy handed and very meticulous about what he wanted. They said that they were five days behind production, two weeks into production, because he was so we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. He would not allow anybody to practice the scene while they were setting up the lighting because it distracted him, even though it was a very common occurrence. So everything took twice as long when he was involved. So he probably told them exactly what he wanted many, many times over.
1: Mm. Um, I just don't see the attraction with Maxim, though. I mean, he's... He's nice looking. He's rich, but money, 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 (laughs) money. He is just so that's because of the temperament, and there's reasons for it. Once you learn, and you know that he's kind of stressed out about this whole thing that went down, and um, he doesn't want to be found out for what happened with his former wife. And um, but I'm just, I have a. I enjoy the... I'm glad there's comedy in that first part of the movie that makes it that much more enjoyable to watch. But with him, it's just like, oh, girl, just walk away.
0: All right, look. (laughs) Uh, Laurence Olivier was a very attractive man Mm -hmm. at this time in his life, okay? So he's got that going for him, okay? Secondly, he was a very rich man. So he's got that going for him. Thirdly... When you take those two items and you put them together mm-hmm. and then you get to see him and his pants that came two inches below his nipples. <laughs> there is nothing I wouldn't do for a man like that. That scene where they're in the bedroom when he actually proposes to her. Mm -hmm. He comes out of the shower and he had on a robe or something. And he goes, I'll get dressed in here. And he came out. His pants were literally just under his biceps. Right. And I think that that's how they wore them back then. But holy Lord. (laughs) The last person I saw dressed like that was my great aunt Thelma. And I think she was 97 years old. (laughs) Jesus. No? You didn't Uh, like it? uh. It It was... you know what, of all the things in the movie, I told you I had, there were, you're like, what did you think? And I'm like, as we were kind of going through it, and I'm like, it feels weird. Mm-hmm. The movie feels weird. Number one, because you're starting off watching a Hitchcock movie. Uh-huh. And Hitchcock has a persona, persona is not the right word. He has a reputation. a reputation that when you watch a Hitchcock movie, there's a, it's, it's, a shamalama twist to it. And it's creepy, and it's spooky, and it's a thriller. And the first 25 minutes of this movie are not. You're dealing with Mrs. Van Hopper, and yeah, it's scary because she thinks she's gorgeous. But I'm, I'm, I'm I won't I won't make fun of her again. <laughs> she, she, it was just a very it was a very odd feel that you got because it was like they were it was almost like they were setting up a Jimmy Stewart movie. Where he's, you know, gonna fall in love with the Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna run away together, and you know what I mean? It, it just, it, it oh, married. Yeah, it did not have a tense, creepy, spooky feel to it. It's like, okay, they're at they're in Monte Carlo, mm-hmm. which okay, and sh- this woman's a clown, and this is going on, and they're all, everybody's happy. When does it start? And the first time, you kind of got this weird feeling was when Miss Hopper found out that Miss DeWitt was going to marry Maxim, not DeWitt.
1: Fontaine?
0: No, DeWitt. Mrs. De Winter De, was, she DeWinter was going to, become, was going to yeah. marry Maxim. She was going to become Miss Miss DeWinter. Mm-hmm. And she's Joyce like, DeWitt. oh, that's great, that's great, that's great. Yeah, Joyce DeWitt, that's great, that's wonderful. <laughs> Three's coming, knocking knock on the door. And... <laughs> She'll be waiting for you yeah. with and, a candle and she to gets, burn the mansion down. They know the words. Yeah, okay, sorry. So this. <laughs> <laughs> so she gets this feeling that she's oh, that's great. I want to be there. I'll do this. I'll do that. And that was like the first time that you had seen Mr. Winter kind of stand up for herself. She goes, we really don't want you to do that. And then she turned on her in a second. And then you're like, okay, that might be the bad guy because you don't know. In a, in right. a and then it started to get creepy, but... It, and then, and even then, it was creepy and, and it was a choppy creepy. It's like, oh, we're at this wonderful house and the staff has come out to meet her, and everybody's so nice and they've got this cute little puppy. And then Miss Danvers showed up and you're like, wow, she's a bitch. <laughs> right? And then Maxim's like, oh, I love you. You're so happy. And he's like, ah, I hate you. Ah. And then Miss Danvers shows up and it was just. It was it was almost like you were playing a game of red light green light in the backyard. Because it would it it, it gave you what you thought you were going to get and then it stopped and you were like, "Okay, what's happening?" And then it gave you what you thought you were going to get and then it changed gears. And then it went from being a creepy like what's going to happen to like, "Oh, I see what I see what's going down now." So it was really it was it, it really kept you guessing. Really kept you guessing. Lots of times when we watch a movie I can kind of see what's coming. I didn't see what was coming in this one. The the reveal was I mean, the fact, the fact that Bigfoot was a part of this movie was blew me blew me <laughs> away. Don't tap your chin. <laughs> that's not that's not good podcast material. <laughs> I have no
1: idea what to say to that.
0: Well, you can start by saying there's no Bigfoot, ladies and gentlemen. There's no <laughs> Bigfoot, okay, anywhere. Um, Although I will say that Bigfoot has become the social distancing champion.
1: He's ha- yeah, well, he's been the social distancing champion ever since I was, I don't know, nine years old. Or yeah.
0: So. Except for except for that movie he was in with John Lithgow.
1: So one of the things that that does make this uncomfortable watch is the the character that that Joan Fontaine plays is, like I said, this pulsating ball of anxiety most of the time. She's always so unsure of herself and she you cannot relax with her and every time you feel you can relax with her she gets back into that tense place. And even though the first part of this movie, as you said, you didn't know what this was, you kind of feel like you can't relax even though there's no real sense of danger or anything there so i think it it takes you into that second part of the film pretty seamlessly
0: yeah you i mean she kind of was an anxiety ball in the beginning with miss van uh, hopper as well because she didn't want miss van hopper to know that she was spending time with maxim right which yes i get i relaxed a little bit when they got to the house and she was dealing with Everybody except Miss Danvers, right? Because everybody treated her nice. Uh, Char- Charlie, Char- was that Frank? Frank, Maxim's friend.
1: Um, yeah, I think it was. It's, it's I think it's Frank.
0: It's yeah. Frank. He was super nice to her, and she got along well with him. And they had conversations, and you felt comfortable. You know, when she would be doing things like the the, the one the one they had the the elongated scene where the gentleman was taking her through the house and saying, well, we don't typically have the fire lit in this room until such and such. You come over here. It was really comfortable. But then she sits down and she relaxes, and all of a sudden the door opens and in floats Miss Danvers. And it, you're like, whoa, okay, now here comes the anxiety ball again. Yeah, y- I, I agree with you. Yeah, but it, 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 it was a stop and start situation for me. Yeah,
1: but even I think she was still like a little overwhelmed, um, and no. even though people were being what? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> even though people were being nice to her and kind of showing around, I think she kind of felt like I, I should know what I'm doing, and I don't, and all that. Um, speaking of floating in, you picked the perfect word for that. I know because you're welcome, Hitchcock. Um, Thank me for the
0: softball. Wow,
1: just as long as it's not my face again. Um. Mrs. Danvers is a very creepy, creepy character. And Hitchcock gave her a couple of instructions um, to kind of elevate that. Um, First, when she was playing it, he basically told her, don't blink. Yes. Um, Which is creepy. Yeah. She's just got that stare.
0: And that's that's where we throw that back to Hitchcock being the master that he was. Mm -hmm. He goes you don't know make this scarier. And she's like, if I had a bigger wart. And he's like, no, uh, <laughs> don't blink.
1: Um, and she's, and one of the things that Alfred Hitchcock wanted to do, she doesn't walk. She seems to glide. Yes. Um, it says Alfred Hitchcock wanted her to be seen solely from Joan Fontaine's character's anxious point of view. And this effect tied in with her fear that Dan- Danvers could approach and appear anytime unexpectedly. So she's almost like a ghost,
0: which is what he was going for. Yeah, uh, of course it is. Yeah,
1: um, I for the first time I've watched this well, probably about three or four times. Go ahead um, before I before I watch this with you, and um, <laughs> the one thing that I noticed this time around um, is this character. How much do you think that Mel Brooks took this character to make Frau Because
0: <laughs> oh no i there's there's no way that that Miss Danvers did not affect uh Frau
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> now, Bluka! now this is this is something that that I didn't realize and we talked about this and uh and I know we're bouncing around, but that's that's how we do it. That's how we roll up in this piece uh you're like she's on afi's list um yeah top 50 of 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 worst villains or best best villains. not yeah the
1: the list is called the top 100 villains and heroes yeah okay
0: i didn't see it watching the movie i i i I watched the movie i didn't like her she was creepy i can i can pull out of my hat a thousand villains to me that are like more than her but for different reasons she she did a a fantastic job of playing this character and being the creep, the creep that she was, but the she was menacing, but she wasn't threatening, which was really weird. And
1: oh, I thought she was threatening.
0: See, I never, I never saw her as threatening until she was trying to talk her into jumping out of the window. Creepy, underhanded, yeah. But like, you know, I, I would have never worried about her like hit me with a hammer or something like that. But one hundred percent. Was thinking, I'm thinking. Uh, what's the lady that? What's the woman's name that played Frau Bluka? Uh,
1: oh, don't make me think. I about know it's this. not Madeline Kahn, but no, um, it's not. It's um.
0: Yeah, it'll, it'll come to me. Yeah, I'm thinking. Did did she was she did she audition for this role because nailed no, she it? I mean, was young. just like oh, I know she was, but still, it, you're absolutely right. You have to think that Mel Brooks and and because she was on this list, and I think she was number twenty one. On the list, she was up there. That it really stands out, as it makes sense that Mel Brooks would take that and model something after her. It was Cloris Leachman. Cloris Leachman, damn it! I, well, you'd think with there being no Clorox in the country, I'd be able to remember Cloris.
1: <laughs> it was my boyfriend.
0: I I think she he had to. Was-
1: have my girlfriend. Yes. Yeah, because uh, that's the other part too. Is um, in the book, I think it it's brought out that she had taken care of Rebecca since she was a little girl. Um, the movie definitely codes her as attracted, almost to Rebecca. Yeah, there's, there's she goes over these very intimate details and
0: the brushing her hair scene was super creepy. Oh, it was yeah. weird.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, that's something too. Um, Hayes code comes in a lot of effect in here too, as well. So I mean, this movie and, and that's slides. that's
0: from Sean Hayes, right? Uh,
1: yes, Sean Hayes. Okay. Um, you had to um, do a performance of Just Jack. Just Jack. Just Jack. Just Jack. Yeah. Uh, no, the Hayes code was the moral code.
0: Yeah, they had certain things that you weren't allowed to do, and and um, they actually had to change some of the script. They had to change some of the script because one of the things that you could not do was you could not murder your spouse, because in the book Maxim actually does shoot mm-hmm. Rebecca, so they had to change that. Now you said that he he struck her and she fell and then she hit her head on the boat tackle. Mm-hmm. Did he? I didn't get that he struck her. I got that she slipped.
1: I think he struck her. I don't think... I, I was just trying to be more concise. Um, okay. he, I, he did mention striking her. Um, I think her falling down happened later. Okay. After the first initial strike. What's interesting um, is I've heard of some analysis of this book, or the book and, and the movie, where you know she's finding the the new mrs de winter is finding out that oh he loved me all along he hated rebecca and oops she just happened to die um that she has the same response that she does in the movie which is almost this joy like oh my goodness it wasn't me you love me you love me and i love you and um and it almost seems very um odd that it would be like oh you shot her oh that means you love me (laughs) so it's a little little strange too so um i'm i'm quite okay i guess with the um the way that they changed it um but other you know but it did it does change
0: a lot in the movie though because i mean once she felt i mean once they have the scene down in the the shanty or the 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 boathouse the boathouse yeah once they have that scene down there where she finds out what's going on she's she's a different person she's a different woman now she's like no this is what we're going to do this is how you're going to do it i'm going to go there with you she right she's not like oh yay you love me but it almost was like justification that she did belong where she belonged and she, uh, she maybe a large Part of relief that she wasn't fighting a ghost anymore; that she was cleansing the ghost, for lack of a better word.
1: Yeah, I mean, she she was she was trying to be there for her husband, and and she you know she realized that what the stakes probably were. Um, it probably would have been a little; the, the stakes would have been much much bigger had he had they they kept this to him actually shooting her. She starts her transformation well before then, because you had mentioned it before. You've got that. Scene where she's kind of dealing with the specter of Rebecca, um, who is a very large character in this, even though she doesn't, she never appears. Yep, you never see her. You Um, never even see a picture of her. Never see a picture of her. You just see her, her monogrammed R all over everything, Um, and you know, however, um, time many times Mrs. Danvers invokes her name. Um, she decides she's, uh, she's she sees Mrs. Danvers over on the west wing of the mansion, which is where Rebecca had her room, um, closing a window. So she goes over out of curiosity and goes into the bedroom, and Mrs. Danvers just appears. And she's doing that little tour, telling her all about everything she did for Rebecca and how Rebecca would... Was so glamorous and taking her through a closet and even showing her her under things and just creepy, 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 creepy. Um, That creeps No Name De Winter out so badly that the next day she decides that's it. We're getting rid of everything. You know, again, she's she's got the morning room that she goes and she's supposed to go to in the morning to do her correspondence and whatever. She wants everything that was Rebecca's taken out of that room. Um, and she stands up to Mrs. Danvers for the first time. That's when she grows her spine. Um, Mrs. Danvers gets her back in a, in a very difficult way. She's very devious. And you don't expect that from her just yet. You right. kind of get the feeling um, that she's uh, setting her up, but you don't really see it come through until Max has his outburst, um, that she's dressed up the way that Rebecca was in the last masquerade.
0: Right. In that scene where Miss Danvers is showing uh, Mr. Winter all the coats and everything, mm-hmm. the coat that they pull out was loaned to them by a clothier, whatever you want to call it. It was a $25,000 chinchilla coat. Wow. $25,000 in 1940. A coat. Wow. $25,000. Holy That's a lot. I wonder how many they sold because of the movie. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That was long before product placement ever happened.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I didn't see the tag not even once.
1: Uh,
0: There was another thing that created a lot of tension on this set, too. What was that? This movie started filming five days after the UK entered World War II.
1: Oh, really? Yes.
0: And, of course... Mr. Uh, Olivier mm-hmm. was British and Mr. Hitchcock was British, and um, they were both concerned. So there was a lot of tension and um, uh, being upset on the set. Did you see that they were upset? Upset on, on the, the set.
1: set. Yeah, there you go. The um, this was all filmed, I believe, in California. It was. Um, so Manderley, that whole mansion, was actually two mo- scale models. Um, one was much smaller than the other. The one I believe that they actually burn in the end was the one that was like 50 foot long, I believe. It took up an entire, entire soundstage. Um, to see the picture of it in in context of scale... Is amazing because they have the trees and the road and all that. It's it's pretty amazing. And, but Hitchcock
0: had to sell Selznick on that. Yeah, he had to convince him that he could make it look real.
2: Yeah, he, did he, he did a pretty good job. I
0: mean, I could you. I, I looked at you. I said that's got to be a model, and you're like it is. But it's easy to see that now. Mm -hmm. in 1940 you were probably like wow this is crazy (laughs) and the only reason that i could tell was because of the way the things were moving around the camera as it came down the lane at the beginning right but yeah was was that's some very impressive craftsmanship
1: yeah i mean they pretty much did that and then they relied mostly on canvas work too um to to build the impression of of the place in which they were in um now a lot of it you can see because just back in the day when you're doing the we're driving along in the car scene, you know, right? <laughs> and you see the, the you know the background kind of moving back and forth, but other parts of it were were pretty,
0: pretty pretty decent, pretty detailed and pretty. My favorite part when we watch old movies like that and they're driving in the car, or <clears throat> pardon me, or you see them running and you can tell it's like a screen behind them. And like they're running, and you can tell they're, they're just running in place because it's not a real run. My favorite parts when they're in the car and they're driving, and this is hard to to throw from a, from a podcast point of view, but they've got their hands at ten and two on the wheel, and they're constantly turning the wheel like three <laughs> quarters. Like, yeah, but but it's literally like just you just left and right, left and right the whole time. Because <laughs> when I'm driving down the road and I'm trying to go straight, that's what I have to do. <laughs> But it's, it's. Well, you know,
1: I, the cars weren't as. didn't handle as well back then. You didn't yeah, okay. Rack and pinion.
0: <laughs> <laughs> rack, it's, it's rack and peanut. Rack and peanut you. steering. Jeez. <laughs> there was something that. Um, there's a handful of things that Hitchcock did in this movie that. And again, I've seen several Hitchcock movies. I'm not going to say that I'm like a Hitchcockian. I'm like, oh my God, it's a Hitchcock movie. I've got to see it. Uh, I've seen I've seen Rear Window. I've seen Psycho. I've seen this. Uh, there's a few more that I've seen that I, I dial in for murder. Uh, I have not seen The Birds, which I do want to see The Birds. But there's there's a couple others I haven't seen. North by Northwest. The the things that he could would do, not as a director, but as like a teller of suspense, really to me as I was doing the research for this movie, stuck out and blew my mind. One of the things that he did was he chose to film this in black and white. Yeah,
2: because he wanted the mood. Color
0: color was coming into play. In fact, uh, the year before, Gone with the Wind obviously had been in color, and Wizard of Oz were in color, and and it it was it was available. He wanted to keep it in black and white because he said that gives it it gives it a more it's a more creepy it's a more tension feel filled feel. He also used a style of of film shooting movie shoot film camera sh- use you know what i'm trying to say called deep focus photography and what that does is it sets up a very large field of depth mm-hmm. but everything is in focus so you get that
1: that cavernous feel of the mansion yes, yeah
0: but we also talked about that the other night we, we went and saw invisible man just a quick side note here and um it, it yeah, if you want to see it you won't be angry you wasted your money if you wait on the rental you won't be angry you didn't see it in the theater it's kind of a 50 50 it was enjoyable but there was a lot of things they did in that movie where they were doing something with the camera and, and I don't, I'm not going to spoil it but you're like okay what's about to happen what's about to happen what what's going to happen right here he in this when you do that it gave everybody this sense oh that thing in the very back on the wall is in is in focus I must be supposed to watch that so I can see that it does something. It brings a the depth and the size of the mansion, but b it also enlarges your sensorium for you know what I mean. Like you're, is that a word? It, it is now. <laughs> it, it, it is now. So that you're paying attention to everything in the screen, everything on the can, on, on the screen, mm-hmm. not just the person talking. And it it, it creates yeah. a. a Oh, hiccups. A little bit more of a mood. Pardon me.
1: Well, the thing, too, about the way that they've got... um, One is that feel that that this Joan Fontaine's character is completely overwhelmed because she is engulfed in this huge space and she's really, really little. One little detail that they had is the doors... um, The handles for the doors, she had to reach up and open them. They were so high. And it makes her, like, there's a lot of things that in the production of it that make her look like a little girl.
0: Yes. right. Do you do you want to know what I thought about three quarters of the way to the movie? It's Alice in Wonderland? No. I said, now I know why there's nobody in a wheelchair in this movie. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> wow. I'm like, why are those doorknobs
1: so freaking high? Well, it made me think of Alice in Wonderland, right? Because she's just, she she ate the cake and now she's small. And, but the other thing was when she was, you know, trying to, you know, her, her, she is tortured because she's constantly being compared or she feels like she's being compared to Rebecca. And the, the truth of the matter is, is what attracted Maxim to her is she was the exact opposite of Rebecca. And, you know, he would tell her, promise me you won't wear black satin and pearls and, and all that. And, and so she decides she, maybe she's going to step up her game a little bit. And she puts on that black dress with the pearls and stuff like that. And it, does not fit her well it does not fit her body at all she looks like a little girl playing dress up in a lot of those scenes in the movie um even the one where she's in just a gown that's more her type it's got florals on and stuff like that she looks like a little girl um and then she definitely you know once you hit that mark where max confesses what really happened you see her more and more like a woman
0: yeah she starts to wear the hats yeah, and the like fitted suits at, like and when, the yeah, yeah. When she's at the Inquisition, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> Inquisition. It, that, that's a joke. What a joke uh, that she has on the hat and the fur coat and mm-hmm. stuff, and she's starting to yeah, guy, yeah. I agree with you. Uh, they didn't want um, the, the Hitchcock had to convince Selznick to cast Fontaine, and he convinced him because he saw her in the Women. Okay. Yeah. And said that's who we want.
1: Yeah, they didn't want her cuz she was fairly early in her career yes. and they just didn't think she was going to be able to handle
0: the role. Well, she did alright. She got nominated for best actress.
1: Yeah, you told me you didn't want to see the women, so.
0: Um <laughs> I I don't think I do. I I don't I don't think I don't think I don't think I do. Mm. Um I I would watch it if you asked me to watch it. I mean, it's very popular movie. It did well. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, your turn.
1: All right. Um, so I think we would be remiss to not bring up George Sanders' performance in this. He is always a delight to the watch. The Colonel was in here? No. Jack Pavel. All right. You probably know him, Shere Khan, in The Jungle
0: Book. It's so weird because when you watch these old movies, you see it's just like today. You know, like, oh, look, like, that's, that's Brad Pitt. That's Brad Pitt. That's Brad Pitt. That's Brad Pitt. But it feels like the same actors are constantly popping up in these movies because they were either A, very good, or B, there just wasn't a lot of A-list actors back then. I, I'm not sure. The second I heard his voice, I'm like, I know him from somewhere. I knew I knew him from somewhere. And you told me all about Eve. And yeah. then it hit me. He plays Addison. Addison and DeWitt. All about, and, and, yeah. and, and, uh, Addison DeWitt in All About Eve. And I'm like, okay, that's right. And then I'm like, I, that's him, but that's not where I hear from. And then like 30 seconds later you go, oh, he played Sheer Khan too. I'm like, that's it. He was Shere Khan. He was,
1: um,
0: and we're not talking
1: about the, the live. We're talking about
0: the actual lion. Yeah, um, live um, action Jungle version. Book.
1: We're talking about the original cartoon version, um, animated. Yeah. So, um, yeah, very elegant um, Disney yes, villain there.
0: Yeah, I would like to say that this guy in this movie, Mr. Uh, Crevel.
1: Jack Vavell.
0: Jack Vavell gave meaning to the word douche before douche had a <laughs> meaning cuz i didn't like him the second i heard his voice the way he was talking to miss danvers
1: mhm oh danny
0: yeah and then and then you realize later that they were in on it all they were all in on it together uh what an ass what an ass
1: yeah i mean he's just he does such a good job at of really playing good. Playing the cad, um, playing the the bad guy, because he's he's exactly the same, and twice as delicious to watch, because you see more of him in All About Eve. He's oh, that's just gross. I know he's great.
0: Twice as delicious to watch. Oh
1: yeah, he's such a good. She's just so good at it.
0: You don't say that about Schwarzenegger.
1: No, I don't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I
1: don't. <laughs> Sorry,
0: Arnold. I don't know why why you he's, don't.
1: He is, uh, you know, Arnold is, uh, if you're going to pick those 80s action movie stars, then yes, he's probably the oh, one that okay. I would choose above, you know, Stallone or anyone like that. But Okay. But yeah, he's, he's great. Uh, apparently, you know, being with your second cousin was legal back then because the Hays Code didn't take that part out of
0: it. Weird. 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 But it was probably legal, I guess. Like you said, it's still legal in the state of Florida. Yeah. First cousins, I think. Yeah. Gross. Uh. I don't think I like James that much. (laughs) (laughs) I I beg to differ, but okay.
1: (laughs) You like James that much? No, you do. (laughs) Oh. What I I don't want to do this anymore. No,
0: no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I liked I liked his arc Uh, favel favel i liked his arc you knew that when he showed up at the scene that he showed up that he was going to be a player in the movie for sure Mm -hmm. because you don't back you don't just have someone show up and go oh hey oh hey oh hey oh i'm i'm this is who i am oh i gotta go never gonna see me again that when he came back during the I'm gonna call it the Inquisition the entire show. <laughs> what is it? The inquest the inquest that sounds like a fantasy movie when he goes back during the inquest, uh he throws a monkey wrench in the work because he decides hey i'm gonna i'm gonna retire. I was gonna retire because Rebecca was gonna take care of me, but now that she's gone i'm gonna get i'm gonna get maxim's money and then that whole that whole storyline just goes down a that was the twist of the movie that surprised me the most. Not that she had the cancer and died. I was surprised at that. I was surprised at that twist because you weren't expecting that to be the end result of the movie. Right. But when he showed up and then started going, Gonna have to pay it, brother. You're like, <laughs> You're like, um, wait, what's happening here right now? Because. This is really o- awkward and not what I was anticipating. And then you know they, they went down that path. But that I, he, his character went from smarmy mm-hmm. to I got you mm-hmm. to, Aww. oh, <laughs> what
1: the hell am I going to do now? He was
0: yeah. The way the the way that he was talking to the police officer in his final scene after he got out of the phone booth was just so I was like ha ha. <laughs> You got yours.
1: Well, um, in that phone booth scene, because you know Hitchcock always makes appearance in his movies. That's where he is. That's where he is, yeah.
0: I wanted to, okay, (laughs) you know that he's been sleeping with a married woman, which, I'm sorry, piece of shit. You know that he's sleeping with his cousin, okay, piece of shit. You Trying to blackmail Maxim, piece of shit. But when dude steps in my car and takes my chicken, <laughs> I am going to throat punch somebody. <laughs> he took, takes your booze. He took my chicken and drank my liquor. You might as well have just grabbed my wife and planted one on her mouth right there. Holy crap. Maxim showed severe restraint because I'd, I'd have tore his ass up. Ever 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 never never ever touch another man's chicken <laughs> late great major pain <laughs> oh, That God. was um that was a very interesting scene. It was because you could tell Maxim was like I'm I'm gonna lose it. I'm yeah, gonna lose it. But if right. I lose it I'm gonna lose it. Mm-hmm. It was very from that moment on in that movie, it was a complete different movie than I thought it was going to be. And I give, uh, I give Hitchcock a lot of credit for, for taking it down that road that he took it. And the way he took it, For too, for, uh, also. When they were driving back after they had found out that Rebecca had the cancer. Yeah. And Frank and Maxim were driving back, and he was driving so fast. And he says, I feel like something's wrong. Right. The first time you saw it, what did you think was going to happen? Or did you know what was going to happen?
1: Um, I did not know what was going to happen. I have to think back because the first time I watched it, I i I'm, mean, obviously, the, the scene that you see before that um, inside of Manderley is um, No Name McGee um, is in front of the fire with the dog because she's waiting for Max. She's waited, she was trying to wait up for Max, but she's asleep. And... You have Mrs. Danvers, which I, I have a. I'll reserve my comment for the "I have questions" section of the podcast. But she's kind of hovering over her, looming, um, with a so, candle. With a candle, so which
0: is odd because the place had electricity.
1: Stick very close to the candle. Um, so I. Would have probably um, assume then that something had happened to No Nate McGee.
0: Okay, I thought they were going to get in a car accident and die.
1: Oh, that would have been a fuck you movie moment, right? Yeah,
0: I thought I thought he was going to like speed and lose control of the car and wreck and and kill himself. Mm-hmm. When they showed when they when they showed uh, Danvers with the candle, I'm thinking, okay. Maybe she's going to try and do something, but I didn't think she was going to burn down the house. But I should have realized they were going to burn down the house because of the opening scene,
1: right? Right. I should. Right. I should yeah. have realized they, they that. they tell but, you but, exactly yeah. what happened? But, but, yeah. but
0: I didn't. So th- I was. I was just curious how you how you felt uh, in in that in that scene. Um, the the scene where she was walking her through um Rebecca's Rebecca's bedroom bedroom and and it was like super creepy Mm -hmm. did you catch the part where they had like the 15 18 foot tall windows and she grabs this rope that looked like it was a ship's anchor rope and she just gives it a little tug and the drapes just go whoosh Like twenty feet wide, she barely moves it. Like you could tell that it was something. Oh, that that big old
1: those big old tassels that they used to have. Yes,
0: and and they just whipped open. Did you catch that? I'm like, is that Superwoman? <laughs> and I, I it just really got him greased up, just Well, I caught it and I'm like, okay, I'll just let it go, maybe. But it was a goof. It's oh, it's really? yeah, they call it out as a goof in in in, uh, in trivia, which I, I thought was kind of funny. If you haven't seen this and you watch it, you have watched it and you didn't catch it, go back and watch it because it's it's really funny. This little woman grabs this massive rope and she just pushes it to the side like a foot and these drapes just move two different directions like a good fifteen feet.
1: really neat Uh, so we talked about the fire so we can talk about the uh, one of the primary disagreements between Oselznick and Hitchcock because Oselznick was very controlling um, and Hitchcock had to get uh, get with the creativity um, and make some changes and ask for forgiveness later Um, One of the things in the end is El Selznick wanted the smoke from the burning manderle to spell out a huge R. And Alfred Hitchcock said, that just lacks subtlety.
0: Yes. Um, Which, gotta give Hitchcock credit. He knows what subtlety is.
1: mm -hmm. Um, So when he was preoccupied with Gone with the Wind, he replaced the smoky R with the burning monogram lingerie case. Um, Which I think gives it a lot more staying power as a, a piece of cinema. you know.
0: Well, he did several things in this movie uh, to be at war with O. Selznick. They did not get along from the get-go. Uh, no,
1: probably not. What
0: happened was, this is the only movie that Hitchcock was ever a part of that he was not allowed to be a part of the writing, the script process. So to repay Mr. Selznick for that, he banned him from the movie set. <laughs> he was, Oselznick was not allowed to be on the set of the movie that he was paying for, which I think... That's <laughs> that's like telling Jeff Bezos like you're not allowed to walk into the warehouse, sir.
1: 15-pound bowling balls, that's balls a, exa- right that, there. That's the yeah. size
0: of Montana. Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't know who Oselznick is, he is the person who produced Gone with the Wind. Yes. Okay, so in Hollywood, at that point, this man is king of the hill. A number one. So what Hitchcock did, he knew he knew that O'Selznick was going to get the the scenes to edit them. And he was going to edit them the way he wanted them.
1: <laughs> You're taking like
0: <laughs> so Hitchcock decided he was going to do what they called in-camera editing.
1: <laughs> That's my note right there. <laughs> sorry. Sorry,
0: babe. And what he did was he would shoot the f- scene the way he wanted it edited, mm-hmm. and he would zoom in and zoom out, and then he would cut the scene. There was no extra footage to work with, so it whenever whenever Oselznik sat down at the editing machine, all he saw was this big middle finger <laughs> in the viewfinder saying, "Yeah, do do what you will, buddy, but uh, it's gonna be my way." <laughs> Which I I guess. I guess it's a tale as old as time when you talk about the egos of these jackasses in Hollywood in 1940 and now you've got a guy who just produced what is honestly the biggest movie in cinema history and gone with the wind. Mm -hmm. And the guy who was the up and coming director because of the movies that he had made while he was in England, everybody wanted him to direct their movie coming over here and you couldn't get along enough to even discuss or or even allow yourself to be on the same piece of property. And that blows my mind. But, I mean, I guess I guess you got to give a man props for saying, I'm going to pay for this and you're going to do it the way I want. And then he goes, you're going to pay for it. <laughs> and I ain't doing it the way you want. Well, one of the
1: changes that he wanted is he wanted Mrs. Danvers to be much younger.
0: Oh, Selznick? No. Hitchcock? Uh,
1: Hitchcock wanted her to be much, much younger. I, probably playing up that. Is she or isn't she attracted to, had been attracted to Rebecca? Um, but El Selznick did not want that and didn't allow that. Um, wanted to stick close to the Probably Probably
0: would have brought a little more grief from the censors if he had
1: um well she gets it in the end so probably not
0: but they weren't allowed to talk about lesbians and stuff they
1: well they that that didn't change the script it just kind of changed the subtext of the script um
0: i it, will have to say that i got to give Oselznick credit on that one i agree with that choice mm-hmm. i think it's better that she's older and creepier right i, I you know what i mean because like let's be honest who's scared of a 22 year old that's not a psycho <laughs> you know what i mean because you know she comes she I'll, I'll cut you i'll cut you i'll cut you but miss danvers was very creepy yeah you know so i i, the I calmer
1: think, a person is the creepier oh yeah they can be yes. oh yeah yeah definitely and, and
0: and and you have that i never had it with my grandma either either one of my grandmas but sometimes you deal with an older person and because of the way that they carry themselves or they act, you're like, man, she scares the shit out of me. <laughs> like, like you know, like when you were a kid, you, you always you always had the older people that you were like, oh, I can do it, I want and get away with away with it because she's nice to me. But then you had the one person you're like, I better not act up because she'll haul off and slap the shit out of me. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? like she had that that Danvers, she had that air of, don't mess with me because. I, I can do what I want. And it was, I think it worked a lot better than it would have different if it had been a different character, a different or a younger woman.
1: Right. Right. So I guess I'll jump on this before you take this bit of trivia. Away no, from me. no, it's my turn. <laughs>
0: uh, hold on. So what happened, what had happened was you see what had happened. Go ahead.
1: You <laughs> See what I put up with her. Okay. So, Oh, you're welcome. Hitchcock. Um, always, always one for detail um chose the hand lettering because you see quite a few letters pieces of correspondence um in close up so he he chose the lettering for the characters and he used um handwriting analysis to kind of portray those characters the way that they should be portrayed so i'm going to read this and uh some of it's pretty funny here. but um, So Mrs. Van Hopper is authoritative. So she has these large T-bars in her writing. They say a sexually stimulated thick Y and F loops. Obsessive loopholes.
0: Is, is that why my Ys look the way they do?
1: <laughs> Unwilling to be commanded independence loophole in the P and rude thick tracks in general. Maxim is very reflexive, large interword spacing, reserved, large interline spacing, and self underrated. T bars are very low. Favelle is very self overrated, brutal, and impulsive. Big R, brutality loophole. I have to read this book, and short interword spacing. So we'll have to get the that is Marchean handwriting analysis method
0: and take a look at it. When I saw that, I, I was like, man. I'll be there and how. I almost I almost feel like it was over-detailed over, over detailed because if you're not a handwriting analysis expert, especially in 1940, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have known that. You know what I mean? Right. I get, I get that he did it and why he did it, but almost like you went a little too far.
1: Well, yeah, Kubrick did that a lot too. I well, mean, yeah. the things he placed in frame. Uh, I agree. In the mezzanine.
0: Yeah. But I just, that's insane to, to go to that level of detail. And it's probably why he was such a great filmmaker because he would, if you over detail it, you don't miss the simple stuff. You don't right. miss the good stuff.
1: Right. It's a good, I mean, I, like I've said, I've probably this. This was like the fifth time I've watched it and you still kind of pick up little bits and pieces that you hadn't noticed before, which to me is, uh, you know, a mark of a good film.
0: I'm going to put out this little tidbit before you take it from me and then we'll take a break real quick. Sounds good. Alfred Hitchcock's first name is Alfred.
1: I did not know
0: that. We'll be right back. Hey guys, this is Greg. And this is Mike. And we are the hosts of the Top 5 for Fighting podcast. It is really a laid-back podcast where we talk about pretty much anything we want to talk about. Movies, fun, fun, movies. And more fun, sports, movies. And this really started with me and Greg getting in trouble talking about this exact stuff at work. So if you want to hang out with your buddies, have a good time and talk about stuff that you're going to talk about anyway. Come come, come, hang out with us. It's like an evening hanging out with your buddies. Except we're not able to share our beer because you're not here. We are available on Spotify Stitcher, Google Play, and iTunes. Look us up. You'll be glad you did. Okay, we're
1: okay. back. Hello. Hello. We're back.
0: I apologize for not realizing how cool your Three's Company song was.
1: That's, that's okay.
0: You'll it's, hear it later
1: and you'll laugh.
0: I will. I, I, I'll <laughs> laugh and you'll laugh and we'll laugh. <laughs> All right, what rabbit hole do you mm-hmm. want to go down now?
1: Um, I don't know. Well, you know, we are talking about you know set pieces and places and things. Um, <laughs> um, basically, where this because this was filmed in California. So one of the things that um, I found out from, from the website movielocations.com um, that the estate grounds of the uh, the the estate grounds of of Ma- um, Mandalay. Um, was filmed on a Catalina Island, um, and the rugged cliffs of Monte Carlo, where the second Mrs. De Winter first meets Maxim, um, was filmed uh, using a stand-in second unit at Point Lobos State Reserve. So it's three miles south of Carmel, California. Um, it is a heavily protected preserve right now because they don't they don't want to upset the ecological balance of the island.
0: Right now or back then?
1: Uh, Back then, too. um, It was an endangered area, and the crew entered um, a padlock area, and they were bringing in vines and ivy um, into contact with native cypress trees. Um, But the site says, with poetic justice, most ended up hospitalized with poison ivy.
0: Hospitalized with poison ivy. That's, um, That's pretty serious. That's a shitload of poison ivy.
1: That really is. Nature finds a way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 um,
0: there is something that uh, they did in this movie that I found quite fascinating because I am a huge movie, excuse me, music, buff, nerd, whatever you want to call it. There's a there's a instrument out there. It's called the Hammond Nova Cord. Okay. And it's was essentially the father of the synthesizer. And this became very popular in the '70s for science fiction type style music because of the sound it has. They intertwined a Nova Chord into almost every time that they said the name Rebecca. <laughs> and there was music playing, this would play into that section, Hmm. in and out, because they wanted the name to elicit a a creepiness. Mm -hmm. Um, It was not an extremely popular or overused instrument, but like I said, in the 70s, it became science fiction-y because of its sound. I would like to in on the site that I found it, uh, actually IMDB, they, they actually gave the time slots. I'd almost like to go back and, and listen and hear it. I, thought, I think that would be pretty cool. But again, her name is said and Hitchcock takes the time to say, you know what we need something right there. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it definitely definitely is. Um, one of the what was the other thing that I was going to say? I didn't write it down, but it made me think of um, when you were talking just then. It made me think of it as far as just the general mood of this piece. Oh, I'm gonna—it's ha- gonna come to me later. Unfortunately, okay. I, I makes for riveting podcasting. I know
0: Hitchcock wanted Hitchcock wanted to make this movie years earlier, but he oh
1: yeah, he just didn't have the money. He couldn't afford to, to buy the the, rights, the, the,
0: the yeah. he couldn't get the golden ticket. <laughs> I will say this having watched this Hitchcock movie and not being a massive Hitchcock fan, I would still probably really enjoy watching Transformers.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know what
1: I was going to say before.
0: Oh, here we go.
1: (laughs) No, the scene um, in which um, Mrs. DeWinter finds out that they found Rebecca's body in the hole of the boat... Um, and she finds Maxim in the boathouse. And she's talking. he's telling her what happened. Um, one of the things that a lesser filmmaker would have done was actually shown you Rebecca and done a flashback or something to what happened that night. The fact he does not do that, but he allows her to be in the picture as he's telling the story simply by letting the camera follow the action even though she is not there is brilliant
0: pretty impressive
1: very very well done and and again master of mood right
0: yeah yeah he does he uh, he's he's pretty damn he was pretty damn smart um anything else um. Well,
1: uh, other than the fact that they're remaking this thing, this was only remade one time before, and one was more like a done like a kind of a mini series playhouse thing. I don't know if it's PBS or or BBC. I can't remember which one, but n- um, Netflix is going to be remaking Rebecca.
0: They've done versions of this. Like, uh, they did one that was an hour long TV show.
1: Right, that's the one I was. But yeah. it was
0: on. It was on the radio.
1: Oh, yeah, and, with Joan and, Fontaine.
0: Well, no, he uh, Olivier did the one that was an hour long. They did a 30-minute version and Joan Fontaine did that version. Uh I you know what? This isn't a movie that should be remade. They're going to remake it because people in Hollywood act like they're geniuses but they can't come up with anything new. Uh, and I'm not saying that this was new because this was a, a book. But they're going to they're going to ruin this. This this movie, this remake will be subpar because they will not put the attention to detail and the effort, and they will go heavy-handed, and they'll ignore that subtlety that Hitchcock used, and, and, and it's going—I I guarantee yeah. you—it's going to be garbage.
1: I have not looked up the director. The director is going to be Ben Wheatley.
0: It doesn't matter.
1: Um, but it is going to star um, Lily James as No Name McGee, Army Hammer as Maxim. Oh,
0: great, Lone Ranger.
1: Um, and Kristen Scott Thomas, who was in Four Weddings and a Funeral. Um, What was the one she did with uh, Harrison Ford? I don't
0: know. What lies Beneath?
1: No, she didn't. She do one where his wife and her husband died in the plane crash and they were having an affair. They found out their husband and wife was having an affair. Oh, yeah, yeah. um, Uh,
0: I think the name of that movie was Pile of Garbage that I never saw.
1: (laughs) Anyway, Kristen Scott Thomas is going to be Mrs. Danvers.
0: Uh, no, no. I tell you what. I don't give a crap who the director is. I'll bet you he ain't got the balls to tell the producers they're not allowed on set. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's funny because I, I there was a an article in Forbes when this came out, and it said, you know, is this you know the article is called "Is It Crazy to Make Remake Rebecca?" Not necessarily. Um, and basically, I think they said, you know, this, because now there's no more Hayes Code, um, you know, can you explore the parts of that story that they were not al- allowed to explore um, in the 1940s okay. adaption? Okay. Fair.
0: But if you have a story where... Maxim actually shoots rebecca Mm-hmm. they're gonna show you shooter show him shoot shooter they're not gonna re- they're not gonna reveal it like like they did here if they are out able to play off of the Miss Danvers is in love with Rebecca
2: mm-hmm.
0: you're gonna have to have her basically come out and act it or say I love Rebecca or you're gonna have to have a flashback of something that's going on with Rebecca mm-hmm you, that, that's like you said. That's one of the brilliant things about this movie, and that's what it gets a lot of credit. The person that the movie is named after is never seen in the movie. Right? Not a picture, not a drawing, not a painting, nothing, just a name. And I I I think that that will it will just it'll just da- especially if you've seen the original. If you've seen the original, it's going to ruin the remake. But, you know, there's not a lot of remakes that are better than the original anyway, so.
1: Yeah, I think the thing, too, is, you know, does this leave this open to change the ending as well, right? Because obviously, hate's code, you can't let somebody get away with murder um, and benefit from it. Um, You know, Rebecca's intent is to ruin her husband and goad him into killing her Right? Um, how does this how does this open up and is it going to change? That's that's basically what they said and kind of just updating some of the.
0: They're going to change the story. Yeah. And they're going to change a lot of the things that happen in the movie. At that point, just call it, you know, Donna, <laughs> or this woman who used to live here, or wait for it, or
1: oh god. Transformers.
0: I'm in love with my cousin. <laughs> 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 totally
1: different film. Totally different soundtrack. Uh,
0: let's talk about let's talk about the the movie itself and uh, its accolades for just a moment. This was. Um, I didn't go much farther than these two movies for Mr. Oselznick. I don't know what kind of career he had before Gone with the Wind. I don't know what kind of career he had with uh, after Rebecca, but. Wow, 1940. The best picture nominees were Gone with the Wind, of Mice and Men, Weathering Heights, Mister Smith Goes to Washington, Wizard of Oz, and Stagecoach Door Two. <laughs> um, and there were five others because they used to do ten like they do now back back then. And of course, Gone with the Wind won it hands down. Mm-hmm. A- and in 1941, which was the 19 year the year for 1940. Uh, nominees. I wrote down six of them were Grapes of Wrath, Kitty Foyle, The Philadelphia Story, oh, one of my favorites. The Great Dictator, Grapes of Wrath, and Rebecca. And that was Mr. Oselznick again. Those are 12 immensely insane popular movies that are 80 years old that people still know about today. And he got Best Picture back to back as a producer. Yeah. That's that's fairly impressive to me.
1: Yeah. That was the, those those two years 39 and 40 and 40 to 41. Just amazing years for movie because his Girl Friday was out in 42. Yep. Amazing film.
0: Um there was a there was another uh, movie uh was Kitty Foyle the one that had Ginger Rogers in it? Kitty Foyle was Ginger Rogers there Oscar was, win, yeah. There was another one that was there that I didn't write down cuz I only wrote 6. Now this but this is what really impresses me about this movie and and Gone with the Wind. Um as, as you know, on the other podcast, one of my co-host's issues is the popular movies never get nominated for the the big time awards. Mm-hmm. Like uh, his, his the thing that always sticks in his craw is about how great Endgame was, Avengers Endgame, and it made the most money and it got nominated for nothing. When was the last time you remember Best Picture being number one at the box office?
1: Number what
0: for this for the year. I, I don't know. It doesn't happen very often. Um, the one that I ran across, um, the last one that I remember was, um. Rocky. Okay. Rocky. Yep. Rocky was number one, and the one that was before that was The Godfather. Number one at the box office. Gone with the Wind is the. If you if you account for inflation, it's the number one, top grossing movie of all time. So which means obviously it won that year as well. But Rebecca did the same thing in 1941. Yeah. Leading up to the box office. So in 1940, you had Gone with the Wind win the best picture. And, top the box office. And in 1941, excuse me, 39 for Gone with the Wind. 1940 for Rebecca. It was number one at the box office that year. It made six million dollars. Which
1: is funny because I read a an, uh, review that was published in Variety on it, and it said it was going to have limited box office appeal because of the psychological thriller aspect to it, that it wouldn't have as wide wide of an audience. So that's pretty impressive.
0: Killed it. Now, um, $6 million doesn't sound like a lot. But this is 1940.
1: Sounds like a lot to me.
0: Yeah, I'll take it right now. Um the movie cost 1.285 million dollars to make which was a boatload of money back then it was half a million dollars over budget so the budget was basically 725 million 725 thousand dollars um here's something crazy i don't know what they spent that money on but Sir Lawrence Olivier, they wanted somebody else to do that part and it didn't work out. And Olivier did the, money, did the movie for $100,000 less than that person was charging. Huh. He came to Hollywood for a $50,000 job that basically kept him in Hollywood for a while. Vivian Lee. They asked her why she was in Hol- why she was in Hollywood because as everybody knows Vivian Lee was also British. Um, she said she was there to get the part of Scarlett O'Hara, but she was actually there with Mister Olivier. <laughs> Rebecca made six million dollars, so it made uh, four point eight two five eight one five million million. It, it netted that. That's that's impressive uh boomtown which i did not look up i forgot to look up i don't know what that was that was number two with five million uh for that year the great dictator the charlie chaplin classic which Mm -hmm. was nominated for best picture was five million dollars strike up the band i've never heard of it 3.494 million and do you know what tied with strike up the band for fourth place
1: philadelphia story the
0: philadelphia story Which is, as you said, one of your favorites. (laughs) Um, Alfred Hitchcock lost Best Director to John Ford, uh, who did Grapes of Wrath. I've never seen Grapes of Wrath. Probably won't ever see Grapes of Wrath. It's probably worth seeing. Just so you know, we're never going to... No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, I've always wondered, and we can discuss it for just a second. How do you win Best Picture or best director, and not vice versa? How do you not win them both? I, I understand that they're two separate categories, but that, if you win best director, they're like, hey, you did a really, really good job, but your movie's crap. <laughs> and if you win best picture, but not best director, they're like, this movie is awesome. They could have done it without you. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm feeling extreme deja vu right now. Because I think you had this exact same argument when we talked about Unforgiven. <laughs>
0: well, that must mean it's important. Okay, so Boom. he, yeah, he lost. He lost out to John Ford for Grapes of Wrath.
1: Boomtown um, had Clark Gable, Spencer Tracy, Claudette Colbert, and Hedy Lamar. Well, there you go, All Hedley, right. not Hedley, Hedley Lamar, Hedy Lamar. Yes, it's okay, Ducky. <laughs> uh, Nineteen forty-two, I believe, was a screenplay. Um, was also. Nominated for my favorite wife.
0: Nineteen forty or nineteen forty two.
1: Nineteen forty uh nineteen this 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 same year of Oscars. Okay. So that was with Irene Dunn and Cool. Clark uh, not Clark so Gable. Um God I can't think of his name. Again. Second time. My favorite guy there. Philadelphia
0: story. Oh, uh, uh Jam- Jimmy Jimmy Stewart. Not Jimmy Stewart. Um, Clark Gable. Clark No. <laughs> Um, I can't think of his oh name. Oh, Jesus.
1: no. Cary uh, Grant. Cary Grant. Yes, Cary Grant. There no, you I go. I mean, done.
0: So I have a question for you. Okay. How how can you win Best Picture but not Best Director? Oh, God. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I'm not smart enough to remember what we talked about last. No, week.
1: that's okay. I was just like, I've heard this before.
0: <laughs> I think you heard this. I'm, I don't remember talking about this on the Unforgiven episode. I th-
1: I think you did. I'm gonna go back and listen. Yeah. Oh.
0: All Let's right. I'll go back and listen. So, what about your three favorite parts?
1: My three favorite parts of the movie. Um, you you can't not talk about. The Rebecca's bedroom scene that, where she's showing her and talking to her and stuff like that. The tension in that scene is
0: just—it is. It's palpable. really weird.
1: Yeah, it really, really awkward. is awkward. Awkward. Um. Yeah. So that's really good. I mean, it gets. I mean, t- high levels of creepitude. Um. You know, when she shows her the monogram pillow with the lingerie, and then she was he can see my hand right through it that that was just touching showing like almost forcing her to stare at it It was yeah uh, you're yeah. like you're
0: like so basically what she was getting at was that she wore this sexy lingerie
1: and you yeah Ugh. you're frumpy you're a little frumpy girl um i liked the scene with jack Favell's attempt at blackmail which part um, it was just the whole thing was really orchestrated, and then you've got that that great line, you know, old boy. I have a strong feeling that before the day is out, someone's going to make use of that rather expressive though somewhat old-fashioned term, foul play.
0: Oh yeah, took touch my damn chicken! I well, swear to yeah, God,
1: eating my chicken and <laughs> drinking my booze. Get out of my carriage, um, and uh, I. I really enjoy the scenes um, between uh, when Mrs. Van Hopper is trying to kind of elevate herself, um, especially with Maxim, and um, best line at all, most girls would give their eyes for a chance to see Monty, and Maxim goes, wouldn't that rather defeat the purpose?
0: That was a great line, yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> There's a, that, that only equals to when she's walking away and she's kind of berating the lead, and... Um, for trying to be part of that conversation and she said something about oh but you know they're so temperamental, she's an artist, she's like I think she said I knew a musician once and I I must have been very much in love with me because every time he saw me coming he would run, go the other way (laughs) (laughs) and it's really funny because the actress of Florence Bates who played her um, I looked up her IMDB uh, bio and she got into acting very, very late. Um, I think this was probably a major role for her. I think she was also in Kitty Foyle like as a customer, like a, maybe a one-liner or something like that. Um, but she was a school teacher. She um, went to law school. She passed the bar. She practiced law for four years. She took over her parents' antique dealership when after they passed away and traveled the world. She married an oil tycoon. He went bankrupt. They went to California, and that's when she got into acting. So, interesting.
0: That's that's what I'm gonna do. When go we on. when we go bankrupt from my oil tycoonishness, nish, nish, nish yeah. Your oil. oil tycoonage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I made fun of I made fun of Miss Van Hopper, Right. but she was really good. She was, yeah. she was really good in it. She was annoying as hell, which oh, yeah. is why I picked on her. But, man, she she was really good. I loved. And I love watching these old movies, and we've talked about it where well, we mentioned something like Mad Men. You watch Mad Men, and and the things that they do on the show that people used to. She's sick in her bed with the flu, smoking. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, oh, what, and what was it? What was it she did where she got angry and she uh, she had to have a chocolate?
1: Oh, she was taking. Oh, that a medicine, medicine.
0: That medicine tastes oh, so horrible. Give me a chocolate to get a taste out of my mouth. <laughs> 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 All right, my third favorite scene was the exposition scene in the boathouse and and the reason it was is because it was not where you thought that movie was going. You knew that there was a you knew that there was a boat out there and you knew that there was a body in the boat but you I didn't think that it was Rebecca's body because he had identified the body and blah 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 and then as it goes on and it goes on and you're like holy cow this mo- this movie literally did it it took a left turn and it's headed for the cliff. Uh, and and what you said it was so well done that Everything was revealed using words and facial expressions. There was no, uh, you know what, I don't know how to write it, so we'll just show it to you. Mm-hmm. That type of situation. I really, really like that. My second favorite part of the movie was right at the very end, after they had found out that Rebecca had cancer uh, and all those things. And uh, Maxim says something to Frank about, you know, thanks for being a friend or something. And I'm something about how I'm surprised you didn't know. About the boat, and he looks him dead in his eye and said, "I knew the whole time. Yeah, I'm I'm your buddy. I I I got you. Um, probably back then, that type of loyalty wasn't easy to find, but now it would be hard to find. My favorite scene, because this is where you truly found out to me, and we talked about this before, what kind of a man Maxim was. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ravel, Varel, Favel, Va- Favel man." God, I suck. I gotta think fava beans. Fava and Chianti. Re- Favelle blackmails, tells Maxim, hey, I just kind of want to retire with a nice house and some property. He says, all right, all right, tell you what. Meet me in the room. We'll take care of this. So Favelle walks in. He orders himself a brandy and a soda. and He's all high on his horse. And what happens next? Maxim, Frank, Mr. Winter, and the sheriff walk in the room, and he goes, Officer, that man right there is trying to blackmail me. And he could have just paid him off and been done with and it. And made it go away. And made it go away, but he said, "You know what? Um I'm a man of honor, and if I get in trouble for doing what I did, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to take my medicine." But he was not about to let some piece of shit get away with it, and that showed me right there that you had to believe the story that he told Mr. Winter mm-hmm. because uh, of the honor that he had. And I just thought I just thought that that was n- nothing what I expected. I expected him to go in there and say, okay, I'll buy you this house if you just disappear. So cool to me. It was a very neat scene.
1: Yeah, again, Hayes Code, right? Because <laughs> I'm sure that that was probably also in the book. I don't think that deviated from the book at all. Um, one of the things that they did add a little bit more tension, is in the book. Um, I believe Mrs. De Winter goes to London with Maximum. She does. Yeah.
2: She does. They um, also
0: said that's a goof because of the location that um, Mandolin was Mandy. at. Was uh, in, in the movie, he goes once by train and once by car, but neither would he have been able to get to London and back in the same to day. To Cornwall. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so did you have questions? Because I have a couple. All right, you go. Okay. Um, First question is, you have Favelle when he was trying to get Mr. De Winter in deep doo-doo.
0: Taking that poor man's chicken.
1: Taking that poor man's chicken. um, That he brings Danny as a witness to talk about this. Why would you still have Mrs. Danvers go back to the house? Right? Why would you even allow her back in the mansion until this whole thing is settled?
0: I thought at one point when all this was going down he had to have known that Miss Danvers knew that Rebecca was cheating on him. They had to have known. I think it had to do with the fact that he might have thought Miss Danvers knew he killed her.
1: Yeah, but then why would you want her in the house with your wife? That just, I don't know.
0: Because he probably didn't think that she had the cojones to do anything.
1: Maybe.
0: He, you know, he was scared that he was going to get caught and get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um I think maybe he just kept her employed Because? Because? Well, but I mean, that's it's, it, but it's a very weak reason that I'm giving you. It's a very weak reason.
1: They portray him, and this is this was not in the book to be fairly generous, and and that you know to celebrate his marriage that he's going to let people who live on his land, you know, have a waiver of rent for the month, and and that everybody's getting extra pay or a bonus or something like that that works for him. Um, so, I mean, there's there. There could be that de- degree of loyalty, in, in probably thinking that she would never do it that because of all the years of service that she was, you know, in his employ. But to me, it was like, okay, I would immediately not want her in the house until it got settled.
0: But I, I, that's I, me. I agree with you, and I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Um. But I, I, I wasn't. I, I didn't have a real reason why he should or should not have either, gone either way.
1: Okay. My second question is, I just think, I mean, could be completely different. 1940s uh, it was supposed to be in England. Who the heck knows? Um, only Daphne de Mornay knows. Um, in what world would they allow the accused and the accuser to go on a mission to find evidence with the law? I don't know that that's always a very strange part of it for me. I mean it it in the narrative I, it works because they're they're all getting that information at once. But that's not how things work.
0: <laughs> I think it's very funny that they're supposed to be in England in 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 England but everything is very americanized. It's cuz I don't believe that police officers dress like that in England.
2: I,
1: I did. I didn't even notice that.
0: I mean, you know what I mean. Nobody spoke with an English accent.
1: They, tra- you know, and that's the one thing that I pointed out to you is in the beginning of the film, they have this monologue by the Mrs. De Winter saying that I dreamed of Mandrleigh last night, and you see the the shadows of what was that great mansion, and she sounds far more English when she recorded that. So I'm wondering at what point. In the filming and the production of all this, was that recorded versus what um, what is it ends up being in the movie?
0: Now they did have him driving on the right side of the car because oh yeah, they did. he was driving and she was sitting on the left. But I, I don't I don't feel that anything else in the movie, other than them saying we're in England, really gave a feel of England. I I don't know. I I think maybe because it wasn't... Because nobody was being charged at that point, because they were trying to decide... Essentially, it was a grand jury. Because Mm -hmm. they were trying to decide whether or not, now that new evidence had been brought into light, whether somebody should be charged for murder. Because before, they just said, ah, you know, she died. And now it's, well, I guess she committed suicide. I, I I, I, have to agree with you. I, I don't know why either one of those would happen, but...
1: Well, an inquest, I mean, is basically a corner. I mean, we just watched Dash Lampoon's Vacation. They talked about that when they left the the aunt at the doorstep. He's like, "And oh, know, we, we we lose two, three days because, you know, you have the funeral home and then you'd have the, you know, the, the inquest and the, you know, all that stuff. So, I mean, it, it happens. So I don't think it's I, strictly I, a court, like an actual...
0: Right, kind of like a grand jury, like a fact-finding mission kind yeah, of thing, yeah. I exactly. mean, I don't I don't think you remember that I slept through vacation. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> um but I mean still not a heck of a lot of due process in that, so.
0: I I have a question. I do have a question. If you Oh no. No, no, no. No, this is actually if if I understand why they do it because it's what sets up the tension in the movie but if you are maxim and you truly truly despised your life with your wife Mm -hmm. and you killed her excuse me you didn't kill her you disposed of the body and could be made to look as if you had killed her why would you leave everything exactly as it was why would you not wipe the house of her memory
1: I think he had to play the role cuz a lot of this is was he went along with it because he didn't want any scandal, right? Because it's, he's he's from a great family. He's owns this great estate. He is big deal, all people talk about. You know, he's the tourist attraction. Um So I think he probably wanted to, one, um, keep people away from that property, right? So they wouldn't be sniffing around, potentially finding something that he overlooked. But second, he had to play the part of the grieving widower. Okay. Which is probably why he went away.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I'm grieving. And you know, why are you doing that, Mr. Mr. DeWinter? Because I don't want anything here that reminds me of her.
1: You wouldn't do that if you loved your husband or spouse or wife or sp- spouse who who passed. You wouldn't you wouldn't just want to immediately get rid of their memory.
0: Okay. It's uh, Okay. I mean, you say that now, but when I'm gone, you'll probably throw all my shit <laughs> out on the side of the road in 20 no, minutes. No,
1: it took me a uh, quite a long time to g- get rid of Yeah, but you loved it. Keith. I did. Okay. Right, but so he, he didn't, didn't I, didn't know, love her. I know he didn't love her, but he had to keep up appearances that he did. That's why things stayed the way they stayed. He
0: could have paid people to be quiet. He was rich.
1: I, well, he already showed you in that.
0: Probably could have just given people chicken.
1: Oh <laughs> 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 uh-huh. All right. Okay. All right. So I guess I have, oh, uh-uh, I don't like that look on your face at all. <laughs> now's the time in the podcast where I have to ask you, what are you going to make me watch?
0: We've had a pretty good run.
1: Oh, shit.
0: We've had um, a couple Oscar winners. Mm-hmm. We've had um, a very under, under, uh, underrated One Cut of the Dead recommended to us by Joe and Amy. Mm-hmm. I mean I guess if you throw Velocipastor in there with Sarah. I, I don't think either I don't think the couple that I have in mind are gonna ever win best picture. They they might not even win best DVD in the dollar bin at Walmart. Oh no. <laughs> I'm on the fence. So I'm gonna let you pick the genre.
1: Oh no, okay.
0: It's action mm-hmm. or comedy?
1: <laughs> God. Lesser of two evils. I'll go with action because sometimes it's just not my forte. Not my for Not my. You know. My. Not my cup of tea.
0: Okay. Well, uh, this is the one that you knew was coming down the road. No, no, no. What do you think it is?
1: Expendables.
0: Yeah. Okay. It's the Expendables. Listen, this is a very fun movie. Mm-hmm. It's a movie that is not full of itself. It knows exactly what it is. It should have been best picture. <laughs> should have had best actor? Uh-huh. Listen. Right. You don't make 3 movies if the first one sucks. Um, hello Fast and Furious? You sometimes make 3 <laughs> movies if the first <laughs> one sucks. Oh, they didn't make 3, they made 9. <laughs> nine. <laughs> I wouldn't make you watch something that was completely awful. I, I'm 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 kind of a little sad you didn't pick comedy. Okay. To be honest with you. All right. But we'll do the Expendables. You know what? We'll just do all three of them. All three. Yeah, there's three Expendables.
1: Oh, oh, I think you're 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 kind of pushing me to my limit. No, nah, they're pretty
0: much the same thing. We can talk about them and no one will know the difference.
1: <laughs> 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 okay, I'll watch one and you watch two. <laughs> I've already seen two
0: <laughs> and one a lot. Come on, Terry Cruz is no no ter- I don't think Terry comes in it to the third one. <laughs> oh that's stink. No no Terry's in it. Yeah Terry's in Expendables. You're gonna <laughs> love it. Terry wants his yogurt. Yeah. Um I'm Gbishop72 on Twitter.
1: Okay, you can catch me um, at T5FF underscore Angel on Twitter. Marketing underscore Angel on Instagram. You can catch the podcast and reach out to us um, on Instagram at HoneyWatchThis, Twitter at HoneyWatchThis, and we also have a Facebook page. If you are part of another podcast and you want to recommend a movie for us to watch and uh, maybe even come on and uh, discuss the movie with us um, please uh, give us a shout um, we'd be happy to talk to you um, and also uh, make sure you uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcast um, or you can follow us um, and I believe you can also rate us on our Podbean page which is honey you should watch Sounds good to me. All
0: right. Everybody, thank you for listening. I would like to say that I was... I I didn't talk about it a lot at the beginning Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to go gush or anything. I was very, very surprised at how much I liked this movie. Oh, I'm glad you did. I, I, I do like older movies, watching them with you, but... There are things about older movies that turn me off, like the significant overacting sometimes. Yeah. I think and, 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 and I understand it, but this movie there was there is something about it that makes it as good as it was hyped up to be. To it, it, it was deserving of a best picture. Lots of times I see a best picture from 1945 and I'm like, that wasn't that good. You know what I mean? Like All About Eve. I liked All About Eve. But that movie did not knock my socks off by any stretch of the imagination. I th- I thought it was good. I thought the acting was good. I really don't have any complaints with this movie, which is unusual for me. I'm, I don't yeah, even have anything I my, can pick on.
1: My biggest concern was this does, does tend to lean to the side of melodrama. Okay. And um, I w- that was my only concern with you watching this was the, the, that aspect of you know the acting
0: the only thing I can say negative about this and Leonard Malton says this about every movie he watches is that it was maybe a touch too long it, it could have been 15 minutes 10 minutes shorter there was a couple things that we didn't you know like one of the things we we needed um the in the scene where they she ends up down at the boathouse for the first time when the dog Jasper mm-hmm. when Jasper runs away um I didn't need that scene to take 10 minutes. The dog could have ran down, she could have been it, it could have been boom boom we're at the boathouse. And I I know that that's probably Hitchcock setting up some tension like oh my god where's 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 the dog going? Where, where why is this taking so long?
1: Who's that weird guy?
0: Yeah. Who not not only not just the weird guy, it was just that you, you it's like you drove a Pinto to get to the finish line when you could have drove the Ferrari. Um the results were the same. I just that but that's it. I was I was very surprised at how much I liked this movie. So thank you for picking it. No, oh,
1: I'm glad you liked it.
0: We'll see you next week when Susan will not be saying the same <laughs> thing about the Expendables. Probably. Oh wait a minute, was this a setup? <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't a setup. Okay, we we talk, Okay, we've talked about this a little bit before. I'm not picking a movie that I'm trying to punish you with. Oh no, no, I, I that's that's the, fine. I'm not having you watch. I mean, I can't come up with one off the, off the top of my head right now. There are some movies that I like that I know you will never like. I like them because I like them for whatever reason. Um, um, I mean, you know what? Um, Raw deal with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay. It's not a good movie. It is not. The acting is shit. The script is shit. the, the action is it's it's garbage. I love it. Mm-hmm. I don't expect you to watch it because there's nothing to appreciate about it. This is not one of those movies. Okay. It's it, it's it's just a fun. Nope. So I know, but I, I'm but I'm saying I'm just making a joke that you might not like it. You you probably won't like it like I like Rebecca, but I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised.
1: All right, we'll find out next episode.
0: Ivan Drago's in it. All right. Okay. Thank you very much, everybody. Have a wonderful um, have a wonderful quarantine, and we'll talk to you next week.
1: Yeah, catch on the flippy floppy.